It is today that we reflect upon the theme of joy. And as we heard the song, Mary, Did You Know? It sets up a very appropriate text in the gospel according to Luke to kind of answer that question. Did Mary know? And if she knew, what in fact was she informed of by special revelation from God. This is the day, the day of our salvation, when we need to leave this place today, as we do every day, with joy in our hearts. I don't know about you, but I am kind of tired of the, the seeing the mess in the world today. And I've mentioned this a couple weeks ago that I've just turned the news completely off. I don't watch the news anymore. I think the world needs to have the exaltation of the good news. I think we need a dose of good news, don't we? We've had a lot to be thankful for over this past year. We've had a reason to be joyful and to reflect upon the goodness of God. And so I'll ask you, with this theme of joy before us today, if you will joyfully stand with me as we read from the Word of God, Gospel according to Luke chapter 1, verses 25 through 36, a sermon entitled, The Joy of Salvation. The Gospel evangelist Luke writes, chapter 1, verse 26, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great. And he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will rule over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? The angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Father, we ask you, as we read from this well-known passage this morning, let us answer this question as to what information was Mary given? And what did she rejoice in? And Father, do we have something to rejoice in today? Is the Christ follower the most joyful person to ever exist because they have the most joyful message of Jesus Christ in their heart and mind. And so, Father, I pray today, as we reflect on these words, that we will have joy in our heart. Lord, to know that we are saved, we are redeemed. If there's one here today that doesn't know you, God, that they will be able to participate in the joy of knowing that they are in Jesus. And we pray it now in Christ's name. Amen and amen. You may be seated. Now today is 
the day of Advent that we have the reminder of joy. That's the pink candle that was lit for us today. And Advent just simply means coming in the Latin. It comes from the word Adventus. This is a time when we reflect upon the coming of our Lord Jesus into a world that is lost and undone and without hope, without peace, without joy, and without the love of God in a personal way, such as what Christ, the incarnate deity, will bring to humankind. This is a period of time when we strip away all of the busyness in our lives and we focus on the work of Christ. I have often heard people say, well, Christmas has become commercialized. Have you ever heard that? But then we'll stand in line two days before on Black Friday just so they can get something you know, on, on special or on sale. And so there's more to Christmas than the busyness that surrounds our life. And it is in these moments such as this, in our quiet time, in our devotion, in our devotional time to the Lord, that we should be involved in every single day when we focus on the work of Christ. Not just on a Sunday morning when somebody would come down the aisle and light the candle of joy, hope, peace, or love, or the candle that in the middle that would be the white candle representing Christ. It's more than just a season, but it is a reminder that without the Adventists, the coming of Jesus, we would never have the crucifixion. And if we never have the crucifixion, we would never have the resurrection. And if we never had the resurrection, in the words of the Apostle Paul, that we are people that are most miserable and our faith is in vain. And so, joy. And there's so many songs that we can sing, so many songs that we can reflect, so many verses that we can reflect on the joy and the joy of our salvation. And I worked through this question this past week, and man, it hit me. You ever have, have you ever were like praying or reading the Bible, and you had a question, and it was like a very difficult question because it was very, a very almost invasive to a point where, I mean, you had to answer. It's like a hand grenade. Pen was pulled, thrown in your way, and you got to answer this question. This was the question that, that, was, that was rattling through my, through my mind this past week, driving down the road, and I asked this question, and I'm going to ask this question to you as well. When you woke up this morning, were you joyful at the thought of coming to worship today? Were you joyful to be able to put on your clothes and come to the house of the Lord with the thought of being able to raise your voices and sing praises and to hear the word and to be able to worship with other believers? When you thought about getting up and getting dressed, did you say that this is going to be a good day or was there a sense of dread or drudgery? When they said to you, let's go to the house of the Lord, did you rejoice? Did you rejoice? It's going to be a good day. It's going to be a joyful day. And for every believer in Jesus, you have asked this question. Why do I feel dread? Why do I feel drudgery? If indeed the thought of being around other people becomes Dreadful or drudgery, I will say to you, preach the gospel to yourself daily. And the closer that you draw to Jesus, the closer that you draw to the King of Kings, the more joyful you will be. The Lord Jesus wants us to be joyful in Him, but above all else, 
Hear me on this. Above all else, he wants us to be satisfied in him alone. To have our satisfaction in King Jesus. So in today's passages, the evangelist Luke is he's writing this first-hand account to Theophilus. And we'll see this come up again in the gospel according to Acts, which will be, it is the second continuation of, of Luke. In fact, it is almost a, a second gospel in a way. But it is a continuation in the book of Acts written by Luke the evangelist. And so in our passages today, this is a first-hand report to Theophilus concerning the birth, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. So Luke is like the man on the street. Luke was like the reporter on the scene after the events. And so he would collect all these events from first-hand accounts of the life of Jesus and, the, and, and even, even away going door to door, in fact, and interviewing people about this man from Galilee. In fact, he says, according to verse 3 in chapter 1, he said, that he thought it good to have followed all things closely for some time past, so in order to write an excellent and excellent and orderly account, so that the reader, by the way, that's you and me, the worshiper, so the reader might have certainty on the things concerning the Messiah. Is Jesus who he said and claimed to be? Is Jesus the anointed one? Is Jesus the one who will come to save his people from their sins? Now, the evangelist Luke interviewed people to get their accounts on Jesus. He lined it up with other reports to see if they corroborated together. And so first, he tells of the birth of John the baptizer. And by the way, it was very close to miraculous, even the way that the baptizer was born being a precursor to Messiah Jesus and paving the way for Messiah to come on the scene. The birth of our Lord is foretold, and this is the focus of the remainder of our message today. And so I'm glad that we heard that song this morning, Mary, Did You Know? I don't know if you were wondering that or not. Mary, did you know? Did Mary know? What did she know? I will submit to you, yes, she knew. Mary Knew, But what did she know? She knew that her son was sent to somehow offer salvation. She didn't know how he was going to get to the cross. She may not have known that he was going to hang on the cross and then be buried in a tomb and rise again on the third day. But somehow she knew that this child was going to offer salvation. She might not have known what kind of life that she was going to live. And I would even say, as she kissed his face, she knew that it was the face of God. There are a lot of questions that Mary did not have answers for, but the one answer that she had was this. His name will be Jesus... And he will save his people from their sins. And so the birth narrative isn't about Mary. It's not about the shepherds that's going to come. It isn't about Joseph. It isn't about any other person that we read into the biblical narrative. It's not about Gabriel. The central message and the central person has always been Jesus. And so... What is there to be joyful over? Mary, what is there to be joyful over? Worshiper, today, here, gathered, 
What is there to be joyful over? Well, I will say that there is joy to be chosen. Some people might use this word elect. It's joy to be chosen by God's sovereignty, to be saved and transformed and, and sanctified and one day glorified. But what does this say to Mary? Well, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel came, was sent from God to a place, a city, Galilee, named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, in the house of David, and the virgin's name was, was Mary. It is interesting that this same angel, Gabriel, was sent to Daniel some 500 years before to, a, to announce a very similar proclamation of an ancient of days to announce there is a coming anointed one some 500 years span the very same messenger that was sent to Daniel was sent to Mary to announce the coming of the Christ child we see angels in the Bible were God's messengers they were sent from God and they were sent to a place a little place a small place called Nazareth now if you were to look at a map today of Nazareth, you'll find that Nazareth is about 16 miles from the Sea of Galilee. It's about, let's say, nine miles from Mount Tabor. And the major cities outlining Jerusalem is situated some 91 miles around Nazareth itself. Nazareth was a city that was not a very reputable city. It didn't have a very good reputation. In fact, even Nathaniel says this about hearing of Christ, come and see. Nathaniel says this in John 1 and 46. He says, can anything good come from Nazareth? Now, if you are a student of God's word, and I know you're a student of God's word. This is a theme that is not new to you. And what is this theme? The theme is God using something small, giving victory, and then using this victory to receive glory for himself. Can God use the rich? Yes. Can God use the socially high on the rung in society? Yes. But it seems to be God's mode of operation through biblical history to use the small and the humble to receive glory for himself. In fact, one of the verses we read on, on a Sunday morning or during the Christmas season, the Advent season, is Micah 5 and 2 that expresses this very fact. It says, But you, O Bethlehem, Euphrates, who are too what? Small or little, to be amongst the clans of Judah. From you, the small, you shall, uh, shall come from one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient of days. Who would imagine that a lamb slain before the foundation of the world would come out of old Bethlehem, who are small amongst the nations? But let me tell you this. I am glad that God uses the underdog. I'm glad that God uses the small, not short in stature, But yes, even that. <laughs> I'm glad that God uses people in this every walk of life. But I'm glad that God uses the underdog. He uses the small to bring glory to, them, to himself. And in this narrative, Mary, the Hebrews, 
the whole geographical locations is small in status. Now, if we were to traverse through this text, the word virgin is taken from the word that can be translated maiden. And there are some debate over whether the word could accurately be translated maiden or if it's a virgin. And either translation, I think, is sufficient because if this if Mary is indeed a virgin, she does not know a man, and a maiden, inside this word maiden is also implied that this maiden is a woman who has never known a man in an intimate way. The Lord called this person of, of low status, who would not have this human nature transpired to him, in other words, the human nature itself, the propensity to sin would not, be, would not be transcribed, it would not pass to Jesus in order for the miraculous birth of Christ, for His death and His resurrection. The incarnation, the incarnation makes sense. Gabriel said in verse 28, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. She was troubled. She tried to understand and she tried to discern what sort of salutation or greeting that this might be. And the angel, I believe, sensing her discomfort, says to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, you have found favor with, with God. Can you imagine the fear that Mary exhibited when Gabriel shown up? We might have said, Well, what a glorious appearing that would be, man we would probably be in the same situation, fear and anxiety and, and uncertainty. In fact, her first words, the words I consider as peaceful words, as he responds and says, greetings, greetings. Then, following one of the most comforting and joyful thoughts to ever be said, the Lord is with thee. The Lord is with thee. The Lord chose her because of his sovereignty. It wasn't because she was rich. It wasn't because she was high on the social status. She was simply chosen by a sovereign God. So how did Mary prepare her heart for the acceptance of the mission ahead of her? How did she prepare she had to work through some doubts. She had to work through some concerns. She might have some fear, some anxiety. Verse 29 says that she was troubled by this saying. She tried to understand the greeting. And so to ease her uneasiness, the angel says, Fear not, you have found favor with God. Now, it is interested, interesting that this word um, favor, have favor with God, it's, uh, it's interesting that it is only used in one other place in the Bible. And the Apostle Paul uses it in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 6. And it means, are you ready? Here's what it means. You have been made accepted. That God has made Mary accepted by God. He has fashioned her. He has made her by His grace by God's grace, in fact, we are made acceptable by God, by Jesus. We are made acceptable. And so true joy in one's life doesn't come from a life of easy living. 
True joy doesn't come by having a big fat bank account or a lot of land or a lot of, a lot of livestock or, or whatever you want to add there. It doesn't come through, through, those easy, through easy living. In fact, it comes through working through tough situations and knowing that the Lord Jesus is walking with you through those episodes in life. See, joy and nurturing, they go hand in hand. It's almost like Mary's life trained her for this moment. God shaped and molded her life, made her acceptable and ready for this moment. So if our theme is joy, it should seem fitting to talk about salvation. And here is Mary. She's scared. She is unsure. She's encountered by the angel Gabriel, and he tells her to fear not. She's been chosen and pushing aside this fear and the questions that she might have, that we might have even, if we had this encounter, our next reaction would be that of overwhelming joy. God, I don't know why you chose me. I have no idea. Joy because the God of creation has chosen you. If Mary's case, in Mary's case, it would bring it would be to bring Jesus into the world. For you and I, it is the sheer joy of being a recipient of that salvation. That that should bring us joy to know that we are in Jesus. And that one day, when we pass on from this life to the next, we will forever and ever be worshiping Jesus. Followers of Jesus, I said it at the beginning of this service they should be the most joyful people on the planet and maybe even annoyingly joyful. Mary was made for this job. Her culture has shaped her for this task. God has shaped her by His providence to be the mother of Jesus. Hardships and trials put her ready to be used by God. Now, I thought of this saying a few years back, and I wanted to share it with you today. In fact, I was like, well, did I hear this from somewhere? So I typed it in a search engine, and it didn't come up. So I said, well, maybe I did come up with it. I don't know. Anyway, I think it's biblical. I think it's a trustworthy saying. I just substituted the word joy for peace, okay? So I put joy in this saying. I came up with it anyway, so I can, I can, I can do that. So here it is. Hardship is preparation for moments of joy. And the Holy Spirit is our refiner. I'll say that again. Hardship is preparation for moments of joy. And the Holy Spirit is our refiner. So hope and joy come knocking on Mary's door. But how did she answer? How would we answer the call of God? Have we right, rightfully reflected on the joy of our salvation? And I believe that there is joy, not only in being chosen by God, but I believe that there is joy that comes by serving God. There is joy of being, being used by God. Why God would use us is beyond my scope of understanding. But He does. I don't know how to accurately convey the privilege that we have as followers of Christ to serve Him 
In fact, in a world that throws that word privilege around so much today, there is a privilege that comes from serving Jesus, and I can't quite get my head around, I can't quite get my head around why God chooses us to serve Him in this way. To be called out to God, called by God, be called out of darkness into light is is an amazing gift, but then to be used by him in some way is mind-boggling. He's the same one who flung the stars into ex- existence by his fingertips and spoke the very existence of the cosmos into being, and this is the God who sent his son, and somehow I'm going to serve the kingdom? When we think that we have a good grasp on who God is, we only know a portion about who he is, about about how he's revealed himself about, about himself to us. And let us not think that we know all there is about God and that we have reached this pinnacle of, of knowing who he is. We think that we have a good grasp on the character and nature of, of who God is, but we only know a portion. We only know what God has given to us, only what he has revealed to us. At least we get too cocky in our own knowledge think that somehow we have reached this spiritual plateau of all the knowledge we'll ever need from the Bible. Verse 31, Behold, you will conceive your, in your womb and bear a son. You call his name Jesus. In fact, this name Jesus is actually taken from the word Joshua, Yeshua, meaning salvation or deliverance. And in this case, Jesus, meaning salvation or deliverer or deliverance, is the only person in history to ever really truly live up to his name. The verse would also be a compilation of what is forecasted through Isaiah the prophet in Isaiah 7, 14 that says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and will bear a son and will call his name Emmanuel, which simply means God with us. The ending of the Great Commission Jesus said, and behold, I am what? With you always. In verse 32, he says, He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his Father. We see this spoken of in 1 Kings 8.25. It says that you shall not like a man to sit before him on the throne of Israel. And of course, this prophecy will find its ending in Jesus Messiah. Then the prophecy continues. It is elaborated by saying he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how would this be since I am a virgin? It seems that Mary doesn't doubt the power of God to raise up a Messiah. That's not the question. God is all powerful. He can raise up his anointed one. The issue is not that could God raise up a Messiah? The question dealt with her own personal ability to handle the task. Since she said, how will this happen since I have not known a man in that way? Then the angel answered and said, well, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And I can almost hear this gentle tone while the messenger speaks with, with Mary, uh, just so she will fear not and, and be at ease. And Gabriel uses an interesting word here to overshadow. That the Holy Spirit will overshadow you. It is not a, he is not intrusive, 
He is not threatening, but he is peaceful. He is respectful. Not that there is a question of how the Lord values women, but there is a good indication of how the Lord made women in his image and likeness with dignity and with honor, so that Mary would fear not. Now this is the moment, the time in history that the cosmos has been longing for. The joy and the excitement that must have been heard throughout all of the earth, it is, it's, it's here. The, the Lord is about to step into history, physically take on the body, Jesus, the Christ. The joy and excitement of this proclamation, even though it is filled with anxiety and uncertainty, There is overwhelming joy. You mean to tell me that this is the one to come who will crush the head of the serpent. This is the one who will once and for all undo the curse of sin. And a resounding yes. Yes, this is he. We look at how this narrative says something like, Look how humble Mary was. What a privilege it must have been. For her, and the narrative isn't so much about the humility of Mary or even the virgin birth as much as it is about the incarnation itself. That God the Son took upon Himself flesh in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. The eternal second person of the Godhead stepped into human history. This, my friends, is true humility. One of the greatest stories I think that I have ever heard outside of Scripture happened lately, and it just happened to be an episode in what Matthew 18 would would call church discipline. This is a church discipline event. And I was reading a book this past week entitled Pastors and Their Critics. And I happened upon a story in chapter 4. And I thought I would share that with you in closing before we commune. I thought I would share that with you real quick. The story goes something like this. There was a, an elder, a respected man in the community and in the church. And something had gone wrong in the church and he became a, a, he become very critical of the church. So much so that he began to go around the neighborhood and began to just gossip and down the church and run the church through the mud and the pastors and the elders through through the mud, just dragging their names through the mud. And he over and over again began to criticize, criticize the church, spread, spread rumors throughout the community that was not grounded in truth, misrepresenting what the church stood for. The elders of the church, one by one, went to this man. And one by one, they asked him to repent, opened up the Bible before him, asked him to repent of his sin. As each elder came to his house, he ridiculed them, he scalded them. He was unrepentant in his sin. He would not budge. The elders were right ready to bring the man before the church. That was that last step of church discipline before they disfellowship with him. One last deacon said, I had not been able to visit with him. Allow me this one last visit before you make your decision. This one last elder visited and heard the man throw each of the other elders under the bus and ridicule them all one by one. This godly elder, he stood up, he walked over to the man 
put his hand on his shoulder, and then commenced to lay down on the floor before him. Right before this elder man who was ridiculing and criticizing the church in his sin, he looked up at the man and he said, and I quote, Dear friend and brother, I would rather you walk all over me than to hear you speak against my brother or further in your sin. Please walk over me. Make me your floor mat. I would rather you hurt me physically than to hurt your own soul or disrupt the church with your criticisms. This humility brought this man to a place of humility. He repented with genuine repentance. Now, even though that this was an illustration of church discipline and it ended on a good note, it speaks to the topic of humility. Our Lord Jesus came into this world and humankind walked all over him for our sake. Walked all over him and ridiculed him, put him on the cross and crucified him. It wasn't the footsteps of humankind walking over him, but the stripes from the whip, and the ridicule and the mockery, the nailing to the cross, the King of glory, the second person of the Godhead, was placed into the tomb that day for the purpose of rising again. But he was also put in the womb of Mary for the purpose of hanging on the cross, being dead, put in the tomb, and then rising again. And the joy that Mary must have felt would only be met with anguish some 30 years later, then to be met with joy again at the peace and the joy of an empty tomb. People, we should be the most joyful people alive. I remember the day when I submitted to Christ. The first day I was genuinely a true follower of Jesus. There was moments of joy. There was moments of peace. But there was some ambiguity. I thought to myself, I cannot do this alone. I need, I need other people to show me. Imagine what Mary went through. Something to this effect. That there were moments when I doubted my salvation, but it was in those same moments when the Lord reassured me that I was His. Then comes the joy, followed by the doubt that God could use me, and He did. Why would God use me? Why would God use you? Now here's the question that we will never know until we reach heaven. The best I got is His, he is merciful and He is gracious. I want to end this message with a further testimony of joy. The beginning of what is called the Magnificat that Mary exclaims. As she says in Luke 1.46, My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Let's pray.